Blog Talk Radio. Salon, the podcast loves you. I am your host, your groove mistress and spiritual advisor, Madam Perry, and but you can call me Jen, Jennifer, Mrs. Perry, um, JP. You don't have to call me Madam unless it just feels right. I, you know, I've been talking about how much fun this has been. Just the podcast is just getting more and more fun because of uh, the listeners, the messages you send me, and information. Uh, the nice reviews you put on Apple iTunes or, or Stitcher about what you do like about the show. And I want to know what you like and what you want to see more of or hear more of, rather. Um, but also it's because of, of, it's because of that, because so many of you are following, you're downloading, you're sharing, you're subscribing. And that is how I can continue to get so many fantastic guests uh, like we've been having like we got coming up, like we've got tonight, and it's all because it, you give support. So every time somebody says, how did you get that person, like you did about tonight, how did you get that person on your show, what did you do, who do you know? So it's because you show up and subscribe and share and download, and you share it on your social media too, and that's what helps me continue to entertain you. So I have been telling you that uh, it's my favorite time of the year, Wild Wild West Con in Tucson, the steampunk, uh, uh, Western Steampunk Festival, and so a lot of the featured guests are gone here. Last week, we had Paige Gardner, the costume art lady. Oh, my gosh. People keep calling me and messaging me about her going, I can't believe that woman. Yeah, she's, she's great. She's wonderful. Um, cannot wait to see her work live up close. And that's going to be just in about two weeks, I think. So, by the way, recently we had uh, somebody was asking me today about uh, the book Music is Power by Brad Schreiber, or Brad Schreiber, rather. Um, you can get that. His website is Brash Cyber, like B R A S H C Y B E R, Brash Cyber. But his name is Brad Schreiber, Music is Power. Uh, you can get it on all your usual book places. But it is uh, amazing how it travels. The, socially conscious music uh, from way back to, you know, people like Joe Hill, Phil Oaks, to, uh, oh, let's see, well, uh, Jimi Hendrix, uh, Dead Kennedys, uh, who was it, Neil Young, um, and then it goes further, uh, oh, yeah, there's Peter, Paul, and Mary, uh, who was, oh, Grandmaster Flash, and James Brown, and then up through uh, uh, Green Day, and just so many bands and the stories you just won't believe. It is a very this book is just rich in information and entertainment. So you definitely want to get that. And let's get on to entertainment for ourselves. Um, you know, I've been having some, like I said, some steampunk folks on there, and I've got some coming up tomorrow night. I've got Captain Anthony Grange, also known, I think, in the daytime world as Tony Ballard Smoot, but he's a, a costume maker. He's an actor, just fantastically talented man. He'll be here tomorrow. Next Tuesday, I've got Moses Moe from the band Mother's Finest. And I've known Moses for a long time, Moses Mo. Uh, he was even a guest on my TV show, and I don't want to say how many years ago that was. So he'll be here next Tuesday. Yay! So there's a lot to look up. You can always find it on social media, on Facebook, Twitter, and such. I'll, tell you, I'll post who's going to be on. Now tonight, uh, oh, this woman, I'm such such a fan. So, you know, I'm going to fangirl out tonight. And I don't care. She's a playwright, 
ghost tour guide and an award-winning best-selling author of 12, heck, maybe more by now. It could be 15 or 16 by the time I say this. Gothic, gas lamp, fantasy, and supernatural suspense novels for adults and teens. She's written for four source books, Kensington books, her strangely beautiful saga beginning with the strangely beautiful tale of Miss Percy Parker hit Barnes and Nobles and bestseller list and started getting numerous regional genre awards just like just like that, just almost immediately. Uh, strangely beautiful. Uh, people call it has been has been noted as the foundational text of gas lamp fantasy. She also um, it has a very interesting, uh, something else she's been doing is it's a one-woman show as 19th century designer Clara Driscoll. If you know a little bit about your Tiffany lore, you'll know who Clara Driscoll is. And she, and she is an actress. You've seen her on, on TV shows more than you can probably, you'll probably, if you see the pictures, go, oh, my God, that's Leanna Renee Heber. So um, let's just go ahead. And hope she's made herself comfortable here in the genie bottle because uh, it's been a long time since she's been here. Welcome, Liana Renee Heber. Hi. It's so glad. I'm so glad to be back. It's so good to be here with you. I am absolutely delighted to have you back. You know, I was trying to tell my husband about you tonight, and it's like I kept going on with more stuff, and she's this, and she does that, and she does this. And he's looking at me like I'm just making this. Like I'm just going. Like how much more? <laughs> plenty, plenty. And then I told him too. I said, you know, I always associate you with Neil Gaiman because. Oh, I appreciate that. Time, I I take that any day. <laughs> for many reasons, for many reasons, um, in a literary way, but also because uh, the first time I met you was at was at the Javits Center in New York, and I was. About to go up there and sit down and walk, listen to Neil Gaiman talk, and you came out of a certain. You came walking by, all dressed in your black Victoriana, and I was just amazed. And I just thought, I thought, oh, I've got to make a picture of that for make sure about that. Oh, that's going to look kind of kind of strange if I just start snapping photos. So I went up and asked you, introduced myself, and asked you. I thought, I hope she doesn't think I'm a nut. And you very graciously posed and allowed me to make photos. And then you said, oh, I'm doing a panel in a little bit. Come by and, and sit in on my, listen to my panel. So I did. So I listened to Neil Gaiman and then right afterwards went to your panel. So I always pair you two together. Well, that's quite an honor. And it, he's a great inspiration <laughs> to me. When I, read, when I read Neverwhere, it was one of the books I read right before I started drafting Strangely Beautiful, my first, my debut novel. And so Neverwhere will always have a close place in my heart because I know that some of the magic and the mysticism of that beautiful world building that he does is definitely a part of my, um, it's, it's in the soup. You know, every author has a different soup of components of, of other authors that have inspired them. So, um, so he's certainly in that soup of my, of my, Make sort of creative literary icons, as it were. Okay, well, I'm glad to hear it because now, now, now I listen because I never wear was one of my favorites, and now it all sort of like ah, I see. This is why, this is why I just felt as soon as because I read Neverwhere and then started reading. Uh, um, well, I mean, the first book of yours I read was Darker Still. Mm-hmm. And it yeah, that felt, was my first young adult novel, and I love, I still love that book, and it's interesting that. Um, that I'm here talking about my current series because Darker Still features a hero and heroine that go through the trilogy that I wrote as a young adult series. And now, um, because my books tend to feature crossover characters and I really love creating family legacies and family sagas, the heroine of the Spectral City series, which is my latest supernatural suspense series with Kensington books, the heroine is Eve Whitby. She's the daughter of Natalie and Jonathan from Darker Still. So it's come full circle uh-huh. for them and their family. And it's been a delight to have my longtime readers who know these characters and understand that backstory get a chance at a new chapter with a family legacy. And for new readers to wonder about some of the 
some of the things that her parents don't want to talk about, referencing those times in those other books. And so there's more for, for new readers. There's a backstory to go back to if you want to learn more. You don't have to have read Darker Still to pick up the Spectral City. But if you have, then you'll understand the things that they're referring to. Um, every character has backstory and everyone has a history. And so I just kind of make that quite real um, going into this new series. And, uh, and yes, I'm still wandering around conventions and all in my black Gothic Victorian regalia. There's nothing new there either. That is what I do. It's what I've always done. And it's what I always will do. It's, it's me. It's, it's my style. Um, when people ask why, you know, at, at first, if people don't know me, they wonder if there's some sort of, is this a fully a costume? Is this an act? And those who know me know, no, that's just her gothic Victorian self. And there are different levels of extremity that I'll go. If I'm in full convention mode, you're going to see probably more black jet beating than you would see, say, on the New York City subway when I'm just trying to get to one of my television jobs. So <laughs> I don't go full regalia all the time, but I do have a, a, a Victorian casual look that is pretty much my my go-to um uh so so if if i were to show up in 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 actually casual clothes that would be a costume so victorian casual i love this <laughs> well you know i would think that going dressing in your victorian garb i mean what a calling card and what a way to bring people to your books you know i um as a publicist, as an entertainment publicist, you know, when I try, when I lead people like through media coaching or when I have clients that are indie authors who are getting out for the first time meeting people, and it's hard, um, but you make people want to come to you and ask questions. And how perfect. Well, that's the great thing about, about that is that the, when you do, when you are dressed in a way that's very indicative of what you do as your calling, um, it's, it's a great way to start a conversation with somebody because I always get people that will say, oh, I love your outfit. And I, my line is, if you like my clothes, you'll like my books. I dress like I write. And that is a perfect entree. And it's basically the best way I can be advertising. But what I think, and I think you'll, I'm sure that you've seen this, where if people do a shtick or, a, or, or something that is forced or contrived or something that isn't authentic to themselves, then it reads right away like a cheap gimmick. Whereas for me, I have always yeah. been trying to justify a career that would allow me to wear this as my job. <laughs> so I've always wanted to dress like this <laughs> since I was a kid. So now, you know, I get to do that and it is in fact part of my job and it is very authentic to me and it doesn't seem like it's something that I'm doing just for attention. It is something that I do because it is my authentic self. And I think that's a real key difference um, between people who are doing something just for marketing, which I don't think anyone should ever do just for marketing's sake. It should, you know, figuring out something fun and ice-breaking for people that can be a visual cue, but one that is very authentic to who you are, I think is really clear. And that is why people do know who I am, because I've been consistent with that and because it's authentic to me. And, and, I, and I get a genuine joy out of being this sort of, um, you know, anachronism, walking anachronism um, in, in several ways. I mean, I certainly don't, you know, pretend like I am, you know, baffled by modern technology. I don't, you know, I don't go to the lengths to, to act like I am actually, you know, here time traveling. Um, I'm, I'm a little more Doctor Who about it. Um, so, <laughs> accepting that, you know, I'm, 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 I'm informed by another time period, but I don't live there. Okay, I think authentic. Authentic was the word I was, I was thinking. And thank you for, you know, for saying it. the authenticity of it is what makes it, you know, uh, true and more beautiful. So, and makes it, makes it real. Not a gimmick, like I said, but makes it real to us. And I want to say that's very generous of you to bring, custom, bring uh, characters into different books because as, as 
your readers, you know, we like that because our first thought, hey, I know that person. And then, oh, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, they're one of the other books. So, like, you know, you keep us feeling like the, we're home when, when we read your books. And let me tell you, too, if, you, if you're if you one of the – well, I'm not talking to you, but talking to listeners. Uh, listeners, if you're one of the few people who has not seen Leanna Renee Heber's books, she have the most gorgeous covers. Oh, I'm so grateful for my covers and across the board. And I've been published with many different publishers. I I am a traditionally published author and I have series with several different publishing houses. And thankfully across the board, I have been given beautiful cover art by all of the art departments in all of the different houses that I work with. And I have had such a good experience and I'm, I'm very, very grateful because I'm, while I'm, doing a range of different series, they all do have this gothic gas lamp fantasy uh, genre to them. They are cross genre because they have mystery elements and some romantic elements in some of them and some spooky bits and some horror elements in some mystery, definitely suspense, absolutely um, historical. Of course, they're all set in the 19th century. So they're cross genre, but they're all basically in that gothic gas lamp fantasy vein. And so with so many different houses, I was worried that I would have a different, a very different look that wouldn't look like it's all of the mm-hmm. same Hebrew verse, as it were. But thankfully, it all really goes together. Um, even and especially my new series, which are almost more abstracted, esoteric-looking pieces. I love my new Spectral City covers because they're very, um, they're sort of very. Mm-hmm. Uh, Illuminati sort of secret society looking things, which works for my ghost precinct, uh, my group of psychic detectives working for the NYPD in 1899 Manhattan. And uh, it's the the look of the covers is very much about, you know, putting the pieces together um, and, and, and finding out the mystery uh, in a, in a way that only um, uh, the paranormal can. So it's, I'm, I'm really blessed by that. And I don't have any control over the cover art. I, I have very little say. I can I oh, can really? make suggestions, but when you're traditionally published, the things you don't have control over are book covers and the titles of your books. The titles will very often be changed by the by the publishers. The only thing I can directly control are my characters and the interior, the actual book itself. Um, and of course, that goes through editorial processes too. But I have I have no ultimate say over the cover art, so I just am very blessed that I've worked with very talented cover uh, in-house art departments. So, uh, yeah, definitely. I'm sure I'm not the because you feel like they get you. You know, they really yeah. get your work. Yeah. Um, every I mean, every book cover could be. I mean, you could frame them all and hang them as art, but. I have many of them on my wall. Yes, I do. (laughs) Good. I was going to say, I hope you do because that's I would certainly do. The Spectral City uh, book covers, they look like, and you know, you're looking at a book, and yet they look like they're backlit. That's the thing. I mean, they really, Kensington with this series wanted to really make sure that the digital, they're pushing the digital market on these. They really want to, above all, there is a paperback edition, but they're putting the bulk of their weight and their strength behind the digital editions, the e-books of these books. And so they really wanted them to glow from a computer screen, and they do. And I'm really, they're very, very eye-catching, especially on a screen. And it's magical to me. Clever. Kensington, and uh, must feel like a very good home for your book. I've had a wonderful, wonderful experience with Kensington with my publicist, Alexandra, who is just a delight and always always ready to help and willing to, to consider any ideas I, that I have um, as well as help make connections that I don't have. Um, she's wonderful. My editor, Elizabeth May, is fantastic. And the great thing about Kensington, and this is also something that not a lot of people know outside of the industry, Kensington Books is the last independent New York publisher. They're a New York house, which has the cachet of being a New York publisher, but they are not owned by any major conglomerate. They're not one of the many imprints of what's known as the big five. Um, And that's Mm -hmm. uh, HarperCollins, Hachette, 
um, uh, Penguin Random. It used to be Random House separate and Penguin separate. They merged. Um, so, you know, they, the, all of these major conglomerates are these huge corporate entities. And Kensington is this sort of lone holdout where they have their own offices and you have all the benefits of a New York publisher, but it still feels like a mom and pop kind of venture. And it is a wonderful balance of everything that I want about accessibility and being able to walk into the offices and feel like I can talk to my people and also having, you know, uh, New York connections. And that's been a delightful experience. Oh, yes, definitely. You sound like this is the perfect fit. Um, I don't know how you write so many books so fast and do everything that you do, but tell me about people don't get out on book tours like they used to sometimes because it's well for one thing it's cost prohibitive several times you know usually, yeah. but um, you're certainly getting around with this year with your new book with Spectral City uh, series. And I know you're going to be in Tucson in two weeks. I'm so excited about that. Absolutely. I, I love I, – I'm so excited about the steampunk community because they really um, – I met several of the folks who are running the convention back when I was a guest at Phoenix Comic Con, and I had a lovely experience with doing some things on their steampunk track. And And when the theme of magic and mysticism was chosen – Thankfully, the programming committee, um, uh, Kiara and Amber and some other folks that um, had uh, had met me out at Phoenix before, um, my name was suggested and they reached out and they, you know, they're helping make this happen. And I couldn't be more thrilled because I really love um, the community out there. They've been wonderful to work with so far. I'm so excited I get to see you and, and you know, yes. some of my favorite people. You, I'm so excited that tomorrow you're having – Tony on, who is one of my favorite people. I love him. He's one of my favorite people in the entire Steamunk community. And Tony is an Ohioan like me. I was born and raised in, in Ohio. I've been a New Yorker for 15 years now, but I was born and raised in Ohio. And so he's the captain of the airship Archon. And they're based out of Columbus, Ohio. And so I get to see Tony, you know, often, um, Captain LaGrange, of course. Um, and he... <laughs> is just one of the best. He's one of the nicest guys. Um, you know, he, he, he would always be, you know, if, if there was a, a steampunk magazine cover of like, you know, the, the cover model of the year, you know, he should always be on it because he's just not only, not only is he nice to look at, he's also yes, the nicest he guy in the world. And he's just um, great. So you have to tell him that I, uh, was effusive about him the day before and that I, and that I send him all my love and that everyone should follow him and, and all of his work because he's just great. Oh, I will. I will let him know. In fact, right now I'm letting him know that we're talking about him. So, uh, yeah, and he's new to me, you know, the whole steampunk world was kind of new to me because James Breen talked was somehow I met him through Facebook and then he began talking to me about people I should have on a podcast. And then he kept saying, you should come out. You should come out to Wild Wild West Con. And then finally he talked me, come on out and do a, a panel about podcasting. So I did. And this is my yes. third year when Kiara reached out to me back. I think it was in November or December. I was like, oh, I'll be back. You know, like I would stay away now. And it's very friendly. It's a very diverse group, different ages and stuff. And it's very friendly. So... That's what I love about steampunk is that there's something for everyone. It's a very community-based, maker-based, creative, creatively invigorating environment that is that is very diverse and very all range. Like there's something, you know, from kids all the way up to talk about and get your hands on and 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 have events and playful things and and get a chance to kind of time travel. So it's but you know without the constraints of having to go to a time period where you don't have, you know, modern amenities. So <laughs> it's, uh, it's a great, <laughs> it's a great true. community. And I'm so excited to like that this, you know, our world kind of got a chance to come back together again, which is one of the neat things about the entertainment industry is that it does end up being a small world sometimes. <laughs> so I'm, I'm yeah. thrilled uh, that our paths have crossed again with all of this. As am I. And, um, Seriously, as am I, honey. So, uh, yeah, we have got so much going on there, and that's why every year now before Wild West kind of start trying to um, 
get as many of the feature performers and people involved on the show before the actual that's event. That's great, and that's a and, huge help to get people excited for the convention too. Because you know, I do a lot of events. As you as you said, I'm I'm all over the place. I find that because I oh, love yeah. you know the internet for you know for connecting with people, but there's really nothing. There's nothing better than being in person with people. That's really how I get my best readers from getting a chance to be a panelist on something that they've come and interested in on interested in the topic of the panel. Um, getting a chance to do a meet and greet with people. I'm absolutely thrilled by by the chance to actually people and have a human interaction. When people see how excited I am about my work and enthusiastic as I am about my work. And in, in, a, in a chance like this, where you and I get to talk ahead of the time about the event, um, it just it makes that much a much more enjoyable experience than to to go to the event, to read the book, to listen to the music when you've had an insight with yeah. with the creator. Yeah, you're right. It's the creative oh, thank thing you. too. It's like last year the theme was um, what was it? Steampunk, um, Galactic Steampunk Federation. So I had my space girl out for one day, and my husband. I kept thinking, what am I going to do? And my husband said, I was trying to put together the whole outfit and then the one I wanted to order, but I couldn't get to my size. So I just I started putting together something, and then my husband said, Well, you know, back when when he was in or well, the Weasels, the New Wave dance band he was in when we met. He says, I'm going to spray paint my, you know, my boots, so why don't we get these and spray paint them? And I, okay, and he did that for me, and I said, people like my spray oh, painted fun. boots that you made. He goes, I, he, said, he said, that's because they appreciate things that are made, not just bought. You know, yes. I go, all right, baby, yeah. Yes, and, uh, absolutely, and that's a thing. Oh, creativity is so celebrated in steampunk. I love it. Yeah, and it, and it is a icebreaker too for conversation. You know, if we, somebody wants to look over my ray gun or something, um, that's just fine. I'll tell them how it works. But I want to tell everybody who's listening right now too. If you're listening live tonight and it's February 18th at 8:27 p.m. Eastern Time, and you have a question or a comment for Liana Renee Heber, you can give us a call at six four six. Seven one six nine nine two two. It's a toll free call in the continental U.S. with six four six seven one six nine nine two two. Or for the people who can't make a phone call because they're at a job or they've got somebody, they got to be quiet somewhere. You're the people that can always just send me a message on Facebook, either through Madam Perry Salon or Jennifer Modette Perry. And so right now. Um, and the number again, 646-716-9922. And so what I want you to do right now is uh, write down Liana Renee Heber the way it is. I've got it written here on the uh, all over my social media. Uh, so you can get on the website and get on the page with us. And Ms. Heber, I am going to take about three or four minutes here to talk about some lovely people who are bring tonight's show and give you a yeah. second to get a glass of... I don't know, tea or so, a cup of tea or a glass of water, and I'll be right back with you. All right. Okay, folks, you know I always say sometimes, I always think I want to bring you all kinds of good thoughts, good information, good feelings, good books, good music. And then sometimes we have scientists on uh, from NASA JPL or anthrozoologists or whatever. I just like bringing you information and, and good stuff things you can learn, things that can help your life, and you tell me that that's what you like. Well, I've got something else for you this time, and this you're going to like. It is a website and a podcast called, uh, the podcast is called The Inspiring Show. And if you go to uh, on the website, the website address is inspiredinfluencers.com, but the podcast is called uh, The Inspiring Show. It is created by Jennifer Hensel and Paul Hensel. Jennifer is the founder of the Inspiring Show and Inspired Influences. Um, now, if you want to learn how to monetize your message, Jennifer's the woman to go see. Jennifer Hensel is an award-winning leader, influence strategist, and a founder of Inspired Influencers, as well as the host of host and producer of The Inspiring Show. Her husband, Paul Hensel, this guy is a master storyteller. He's going to teach you how to master your message. Um, 
Yeah, you can be a storytelling expert. He has told the stories on TV, radio, radio, uh, TEDx, and they're going to teach you how to uh, create opportunities, cultivate deeper connections, have meaningful collaborations. So just go to, I've got this on all of my social media, the website inspiredinfluencers.com, and also uh, the Inspiring Show is the uh, podcast that you can listen to, the audio podcast, or it's also on YouTube if you want to watch them too. They have very interesting guests. And also they have some uh, downloads for you, some uh, wonderful things that you can get to um, organize your plan, your brand, uh, influencing, uh, learning how to ignite your inner influencer, inner circle. Um, and I don't know. I don't know where to start, keep telling you or whether just to say, go find out yourself. Uh, the Getting Unstuck Workbook, book, excuse me, Getting Unstuck Workbook, that's exactly what I need, uh, that Jennifer Hensel created will help you get your going, get Get to where you're going, where you want to go. Get your um, get your life and business to the place where you want it to be. So check them out. Also, you've also been hearing me talk about you know nothing is, feels better than a good comfortable T-shirt or hoodie or when you've got on some cute jewelry, and even more so, got a message that makes you feel good. Now more than ever, women and girls hear and see words and graphics that reinforce subtle and not so subtle negative images of themselves and others. But Daisy Bella, has, who has more than two decades in the fashion industry, wants to send a different message. They believe women and girls are perfect just the way we are. And they are about encouraging women to look in the mirror and love the person they see and then share that message with others. It's all about positive messages. It's a cute tease. You know, I sometimes I'll, I'll um, put pictures of their T-shirts and hoodies out on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook, and I want you to see the messages they have on them. Uh, you're, be your own kind of beautiful. You are enough. Beautiful girl, you can do amazing things and follow your dreams. I like that one because it's got a girl on a motorcycle, but she's uh, driving away and looking over her shoulder at you. Like, yeah, she's following her dreams. I love that one. And here's another thing. They are cozy. They are comfortable. But they also give back. When you make a purchase, Daisy Bella, 10% of the net profit is donated to the Daisy Bella or DB Women in Need program. They support local charities sending girls to summer camp when their family is finding hard times. Um, they help find women. Uh, they fund women and children's shelters where women can help rebuild their lives. And here's something else: if you go to Daisy Bella, D A I S Y, like a flower, hyphen Bella, like Bella is beautiful, B E L L A. DaisyBella.com, and make a purchase. When you get to the checkout line, put in this code, thank you, and the number 20. Just thank you and the number 20, and that will give you a 20% discount because that's the kind of people they are. They want you to feel good, look good, have positive messages for yourself and every other woman around you, and get a discount. So, Daisy Bella. All right, and now I'm back with Liana Renee Heber. You know, I want to talk more about your books, but I also want to ask you about something that really fascinated me, and that was your shows, your one-woman shows as Clara Walcott Driscoll. Yeah, so that started because... I was researching Clara when um, I was doing a book proposal for um, a novel that's not yet come out, and it may the initial proposal might transform into something else entirely. But the 
material that I learned about Clara Walcott Driscoll was too fascinating not to do something with. She is the woman who designed all of Lewis Comfort Tiffany's stained glass lamps. Now, when we think of stained glass, Lewis Comfort Tiffany, of mm-hmm. the Tiffany Company, you know, fame. So the, the founder of Tiffany & Company, it's his son, who didn't want to go into the jewelry business. He wanted to be an artist, and he's a very accomplished artist, but he also worked with very accomplished artisans. So he created a company that then hired a bunch of different designers to work under his company name and basically revolutionized interior designing and interior decor in the late 19th century. And Clara Driscoll managed the women's glass cutting department. There was a department of women who put together and assembled and in often cases designed stained glass windows for different patrons. And then the women would basically take the design and cut the pieces of glass. They would select the colors. They would make these very fine cuts of the pieces. And then they would send it off to be leaded in the men's shop. And the fact that there were all of these working women, up to 50 at one point working in the women's glass cutting department on Park Avenue and 28th Street in, in the 1880s, is a pretty incredible thing. These were women that were paid pretty well for, um, for the day. Um, they were managed by Clara, and then she also herself had a she had a, a an education in in the arts. The Western Reserve School of Design for Women is based was based in Cleveland, Ohio. It's now where the Cleveland Art Institute is. And that was where she got her training. She's from rural Ohio, northern Ohio. And she moved to New York to pursue her dreams of being an, a working artist in 1888. And as I came from rural Ohio in the middle of nowhere, too, and also moved to New York to pursue my dreams in art and in writing, I felt a kinship to her life story. There's a couple of books about her that I read. One is called Noon at Tiffany's by Echo Heron. The other is called uh, Clara and Mr. Tiffany by... Um, um, Susan, and I'm blanking on her last name, but if you look up Clara and Mr. Tiffany, that book will come up. And both of those books are very good books, very different, but, none, but both of them take a great deal of liberties with Clara's personal life. And I went to read her letters in the Kent State Special Collections Library, and I got a pretty good sense from her letters that her personal life, she didn't really want a whole lot of people speculating about. And I just decided in my show that I would leave a lot of that to, you know, there are things that we don't talk about in this era. We don't air our dirty laundry on social media. <laughs> you know, um, back in the day, they didn't do that. So, so the liberties that others took with her story, especially her personal life, I leave that very much out of my one-woman show. It's a 50-minute where I um, talk about her background, her upbringing. I quote her. I read from her uh, letters. And um, and I talk about her quest to be recognized because really all she wanted Tiffany to do in the over 20 years that she worked there, off and on, you couldn't be married and work there. That's a very 19th century thing. Only unmarried women could work there. Once you were married, you were expected to go and be a housewife. But uh, so she, so when she was widowed, she came back to um, uh, to the company uh, and and was able to resume work after her, her elderly husband had passed. So it, her story with um, wanting to, to have her name on things is, is the trajectory that I take with my, with my um, show because I just feel like, you know, there are a lot of unnamed women in history, and definitely there were a lot of women working in arts and design in the 19th century, working women, you know, middle-class working women. And mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think she's really an inspiring person, and, I, and she's funny, too, and her, her, her letters are quirky and clever, and I love her style and her, the way that she just looks at the world. And so um, I feel like I can give a voice to her now. And thankfully, museums are now putting her name on the dragonfly lamp, on the wisteria lamp, on the peony lamp, the, the, the daffodil lamp, the famous, famous lamps that really made Tiffany's name and kind of put him into, you know, homes of tastemakers at the time. I mean, they were expensive lamps. They were 
300 to $400 then in the 1800s. You can oh. imagine how much that is now. Oh, so, yeah. And what the, the irony is that Clara could never afford one of the lamps that she was making. You know, that's just the wild reality of this. So, um, you know, it, it's an interesting uh, show that talks about a lot of things that are still, we're still trying to unpack as a society still between women's rights and equal pay and also, um, you know, credit, uh, crediting your artists when you're a big corporation, basically. Um, there's a lot of things that are very, very timely and, and relevant, and, and also just the struggle of the, of the, working, the working artist struggle. And uh, mm-hmm. um, so I, I love that. So, you know, I, I've been touring it around. Um, I got to de- debut it in Ohio, where I had been commissioned to, to do it for an arts organization there, and now I've, I've gone around to different places that – specifically Tiffany-related places that have a Tiffany window or a um, uh, Tiffany-related story um, or just an interest in Tiffany in general. So I have a whole – if you go to my website and you want to learn more, um, I have a page dedicated to it on my website. So if you go to lianareneheber.com and go to my By the Light of Tiffany, a meeting with Clara Driscoll. So By the Light of Tiffany is the name of the show. And, uh, you know, it's a 50-minute presentation with with – um, a PowerPoint of, of actual fo- photos of Clara and other of her works and other um, sort of uh, pieces uh, uh, of history uh, put in. So you have a few visuals with with my storytelling. Okay, and I, yeah, I take on her character. Great pictures. It's fun. Yeah, it's, it's been a joy <laughs> to do. Great pictures here. Well, you've done that everywhere from Ohio to New York. Uh, by the way, as I was saying earlier, if uh, – if you're listening live uh, and you want to talk, the number is 646-716-9922. And there is someone here, Leona Renee Heber. If you would just reach over and just pull the beaded curtain for me here, and we'll see who's come here to visit us. Hello. Hello. Welcome to Madam Perry Salon. Oh. Hello. Thanks for having me. Voice. <laughs> Delighted. Liana, I know it's a little different here, but do you recognize somebody? Uh, I, maybe. You this don't recognize the voice of your see. favorite captain? Hi, Tony. <laughs> Hi, Hi. Hi, darling. I love you. <laughs> I love you, I too. Did. I thought it was you. I thought it was you, but I just wasn't sure if my powers of summoning were that powerful. Clearly they are. Apparently they are. Apparently they are. I think I, I was hoping that was you, but hello, my friend. How are you? I am doing quite well. I am uh, a little tired, but otherwise doing good. Yeah, I, I feel you there. Yeah. I'm so excited we get to, to, to take in the beautiful Arizona landscape soon. I am so looking forward to that after being in the Ohio gray for so long. <laughs> right. Okay. Hey, let me ask you this. That uh, you know, he's going to be here. Tony's going to excuse me. Captain Lagrange is going to be here in Madame Perry's salon tomorrow night, Leanna, as a featured guest. But that picture that I posted of him, you know, that now talk about something that should be framed. That is like movie poster. Oh, absolutely. Quality. Anyone who's casting anything steampunk related should be casting Captain Lagrange in their in their work. I mean, I am completely open for this, so. (laughs) Well, listen, next time, and, um, you know, some of the productions I work on have been slowed down for a little bit during the winter, but the next time, I'm at Tyler Perry Studio. I want to take a picture. Yes. (laughs) Hey. If that's okay with you, Tony. Oh, it is quite okay with me. I don't want to be Miss Budinsky here, just kind of, you know, but yeah. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. The, anything that – I want everybody to be um, helping all of my friends' careers. Please do. And that's what I like about it, too. You know, we all – I'm the connector, but we're all connectors. We are all doing it uh, for each other. Everyone supports each other. So, yes, the next time I go there, I want to take the poster and just say – Check this out. <laughs> yep. Hi, hire this brilliant captain. Or he can play anything. Yeah. He's very versatile. He can play, what, what, he can play whatever. 
They just, right. just throw and me at a roll and I'll and I'll crush it. <laughs> so what are you gonna <laughs> what are you gonna do, um uh, say when we all meet up at Wild West Con, Tony, what is Ooh. the um Say I've got a couple of panels on tap. Uh, I don't know if I'm allowed to say anything yet, but I've got some talks on uh, some tea on African Americans in the Wild West, the Pinkerton Detective Agency, and a few with my good friend John Strangeway. Yay! All right, that's going to be so much fun. Yeah, I'll be talking about ghosts as per usual, um, as all of my all of my books are very ghost heavy. So I'll be definitely bringing the ghost stories as well as just discussing gas lamp fantasy and mysticism and magic in fiction in general. So, um, so definitely if you love a good ghost story, you gotta, gotta come to me. It's true. That sounds good. All right. Well, I'm so glad you called in Tony. See, now you know your way around. Madam Perry, mm-hmm. we'll have a nice, uh, nice. Blood I was very much. Uh, Ca- I was talking you up. I was talking you up earlier, captain. So I'm glad that, uh, I'm glad that my that my my words brought you brought you to the salon. <laughs> oh, my Yay. ears were were burning just a little bit. Good, as <laughs> okay. they should be. Everybody should be talking about you in a good way. <laughs> everybody Aww. should. Yes. All right. So everybody that's listening right now, be sure to be back here tomorrow night when Tony's here. So I think Captain Lagrange. And I will leave you two to it. All right. All right. Thank see you, you later, so my much. friend. I will see you soon. Yes, I, yeah. I do. I do. Yay. Yay. Well, that was certainly cool. That was so great. I thought, I was like, is that me, buddy? But it's like, you never want to presume. Because of, you know, it's like, I know that I know that sounds like my, my dear friend. So that's how oh, delightful. I know. Oh, you conjured him. I did. I did. Yay. That's good. My powers are increasing. That makes me happy. I'm so excited. So this is going to be just such a such a great event. Now, so yes, yeah, so Clara Driscoll. I just found everything fascinating about. Um, and, and you studied, like you said, uh, you read about her, the letters, um, too. And interesting about not being able to work when she's married, because I know um, so many times when I watch these period pieces, these TV shows or series. And one of them, I cannot remember the name of it, but it was about a um, department store called the Paradise. Mm-hmm. And I remember all the people that worked there lived like in a boarding house. Yeah. Above yes, Clara did or too. Attached to. Yeah, and then, but if someone got married, then they, you know, a woman got married rather than that. it was time to go. Yep. Yep. It was that. Yeah, that was very common. I mean, I think what people don't realize is how many working women there were in the 19th century, but then the institution of marriage really changed what that was. Um, so, so some working women just decided not to get married and just decided to continue their lives on their own independently. Um, I mean, there was a bit of a stigma of that. Yes, but in New York, like in a place like New York, there were just so many people doing their own thing that nobody really cared. So, you know, it, it it's 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 one of the reasons why I write I write a lot of working women in all of my books because I want to sort of show that there were ways in which women were in the workforce in the 19th century. There were just there were some limitations. So I'm I'm acknowledging that. I don't I don't try to erase any of the conflict that all of my marginalized characters. I mean, I write very diverse books with groups of people from all different walks of life and all different backgrounds, all trying to find their way and each having some of their own constraints that they have to work around. But at the same time, it was a time of, of great change and also great opportunity. And so I really like writing about that. I noticed too, it said that on, on your website, you do, um, Yes. Fact. Let me see. I'm going back to the page. Yeah. Uh, on you <laughs> lecture on gothic fiction, uh, paranormal themes for, um, and you do this at prominent institutions like New York University, conventions, conferences, of course. Um, what is that? Must it definitely draws a crowd. I'll bet. Well, definitely talking about one of the things that I've been doing a lot lately is talking about the power of ghost stories. 
and why we continue to tell them. And so that really always is an interesting thing. Um, you know, I, I love to give an irreverent history of Gothic literature. Um, I love to talk about, you know, the specifics of, of, of the genre fantasy things that I'm doing, but the, 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 the lectures I give that give the most interesting engagement are the discussions about ghost stories in general, what compels us to tell them, uh, what makes a good ghost story if you're writing one, but really more discussions of, of this open-ended question of, of the paranormal and how everyone comes to it. It's such an intimate, personal thing, and everybody has a ghost story. It's one, it's one of the most common experiences of, of humanity, is that even if you don't have a ghost mm. story, you have a story of, of a skeptic who had this one thing that they could never explain, and, and it's stuck with you, you know. So I feel like it's one of those things that everyone has a story to tell. Not everyone's sure how to talk about it because it isn't something that we can prove. And the whole question of it makes it that much more interesting. And so I explore this theme in all of my books. Um, I, I don't tell anybody what to believe. My characters are fumbling and trying to figure it out as, as we, the reader, are going through it too, trying to sort of find their way through the mysticism of all of, all of the spectral encounters that they're encountering um, and trying to find the good in all of it. And so that's, you know, that ends up being some of the most rich discussions. As a, as a ghost tour guide in Manhattan, which is a, it's, Manhattan's a very haunted place. It has a lot of history, um, some great, some terrible. And, uh, and a lot of people that come on my ghost tours, they just, they want to tell me their ghost story. They want my opinion of the paranormal. Do I think it's real? Do I, you know, and, and I become this sort of paranormal chaplain, kind of guiding them through their esoteric questions. Um, but I'm, but doing so in a way that none of us really have scripture for this. We just basically are, are, are kind of in a, a place of, of wondering and questing. And that's really exciting to me. So it creates for me a kind of a constant engine for my fiction as well. Hmm. Okay, that's interesting. I never thought about it. Yeah, that it's a, it, is, it is a common thread we all hear. It's something everybody's got one, no matter what. Mm-hmm. Even if you don't think you've got one, even if you don't believe, if you're a skeptic. You know, I am so glad that with everything you're doing, and you're a busy woman, that you yeah, were able to I make am. time to come on Madame Perry's salon. And you were so I will always make time, time for you. Oh, I will always gosh, make time for you. Thank you so much. I'm so glad about this. Yes, I am very busy, but I will always make time for you. And that, that goes for this. I mean, I get to do what I love, you know, and talking about these things is also what I love. So it's, it's a blessing. Well, it, I'm, just, I'm just glad I was there when you came walking by at the Javits Center. So <laughs> Me too. So but while I've got a few minutes left, I've still got those pictures. Well, I've got a few minutes left, because this has just flown by like just two girlfriends hanging out. Um, yep. I do want to ask you one more thing in the last few minutes. Tell Please. me, you are, you are, you're an act. You really are a professional actor. Uh, you're a member of Actors Equity and SAG AFTRA. Uh, tell me about some of the t- uh, TV shows you've been in, like Boardwalk Empire, Mysteries at the Museum. Um, where we would somebody would see you or things you've done recently because this stuff is so cool. Well, it's really fun, and for the most part, the stuff that I've been doing in film and television has either been behind the scenes. Um, I'm a stage manager for a small production company, um, a, a small television studio in Manhattan. I'm also um, I, I'm a background actor, so most of the time, you you may see me in some shots. I, I had several featured bits on Boardwalk Empire. I worked every single season of that. Um, so there are several things that, um, that you can see me feature very prominently where I actually was supposed to have a line, but it didn't work out with their scheduling and their budget for that, for that episode. But there's, um, you can, if you go to my website, you can see some screen stills, um, from things that I've been featured in, like the film, the immigrant with, um, um, that had Joaquin, uh, Phoenix and, uh, as well as, um, Jeremy Renner, and um, and um, just a in stellar stellar cast um, of of, um, of of folks. And so, Boardwalk Empire was really fun. Mysteries of the Museum was great because I got to actually be myself and talk about spiritualism. So that's the thing that I've been recognized in most recently because it does have my full name. 
um, accredited, and I'm talking about spiritualism yeah. and in the 19th century. So that's and they've used my bits for that for several different shows within the mysteries at the museum contingent. So I've been I, there's an IMDb page that they put up for for my appearances in several different shows that they used my my general discussion and then some specifics about the discussion of 19th century spiritualism and and some of the frauds that were were, um, were rampant in it uh, as well as you know unfortunately the really legitimate spiritualist mediums we we probably won't know their names because they were working much more uh, graciously and much more they weren't going for the fame of it they were doing it as a calling and as a mission not as a spectacle so, uh, but I talk about that on Mysteries at the Museum. So that's the one that was most recent. And I have to say that was the most fun because it was directly related to everything else that I do. Um, I find that I'm not doing as much background acting, though, um, because I, I don't have the time for the 14-hour shifts it sometimes is because, thankfully, I've been cranking out lots of books. So I, I am on I am on number right. thirteen currently. So um, so yeah. So thankfully the the books are always going to be the most important thing. The 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 acting I love, but um, but I really feel that the books are my main calling, and acting is something fun that I get to do um, in 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 between. So um, so so the books are are the star, and then my acting career is like the supporting actor part of my life. <laughs> Oh, that's so cool. Well, that is great. You know, um, background acting is fun. And there was a show I worked on last year for several months. So I guess I'm what's called a uh, established community member. Yeah. Even though I'm not speaking. But I got some close-ups making weird faces staring at the sun. So they're not oh, glamour yeah, shots. Absolutely. Uh, even by... <laughs> even by Corgi, even my Corgi got in on got a night of work that on that. But um, so much fun. But yeah, but um, the uh, uh, the it? other guys, the sh- the movie, the other guys must have been on the other day because I got a bunch of messages um, on Facebook going, "Hey, is that you in the Bed Bath and Beyond scene <laughs> of the uh, of the movie, the other guys?" Because I swear it's you because ha- I'm featured in that scene. Like I, I there's like about seven shots of me, and I and I had to reassure every time, yes, that was me. That it does look, you know, because I a bunch of, a bunch of high school friends must have been watching it on the same station because <laughs> because I got a slew of messages of like I think I just saw you in in the other guys you know in a in a Bed Bath and Beyond polo which is something you know a blue polo shirt which you would never catch me dead in um, otherwise uh, because I am you know I don't wear colors I'm a goth I wear black only so it was it was hilarious thing of like it was as much about people seeing me in a colored shirt than it was about me being in their movie. So <laughs> that's hilarious. <laughs> see that? Oh, that is so good. Well, this one, yeah, and people will probably only recognize Fiona the corgi, and nobody's going to know who I am. See, but if you, you know, dogs, the, dogs always steal the show. Of course. In the opening of uh, Stranger Things, though, when I watched the opening of season three, where they're at the uh, carnival, if you've seen it, like it's the Fourth of July carnival. Oh yeah. Yeah, that was a full week of overnight shoots, and it was 30 degrees, and we're dressed for 4th of July. Oh, no, I'm so sorry. I have been there and been that person. Oh, my God. When they exploded the boardwalk on Boardwalk Empire, we were in the same conditions, and it was terrible. (laughs) Oh, my God. Yeah, you were just like, okay, you know, it's it's, it's my... uh, is, is my uh, medical bill going to be included in this when I have a flu right. or something? But right. no. But what I started doing was I had on a dress at least, but a short sleeve dress. So uh, what I would do is I would start wearing like every night I would take like a t-shirt, long sleeve t-shirt, but I had to pull my sleeves up whenever they said okay, you know, action or start. And then I started wearing long underwear, but or and pulling the long underwear up under my skirt when it was time to start. And then another sweater yes. on top of that. And by the time, it, within that one hour, if you do happen to notice me, I go up about three sizes in there because every night I was adding more undergarments. That's hilarious. See, these are so the tricks like, that people don't know. People have no idea the stuff that so, goes into these things to survive. It's like the oh, little no. tricks that you figure you, out how to weather these long nights on shoot on shoots. Oh my God, that's amazing. Yeah, even, I'll have to go back the, and look uh, for you the, now. I guess it's, 
Oh, even the assistant assistant AD was going, um, when they got ready to call, I go, uh, ma'am, you forgot to pull up your long underwear. So I pull my, you know, my leggings up or whatever underneath mm-hmm. the dress. You know, thank you. So, yeah, if you, if you do happen to notice that it's me and they give you a big perm and everything, um, you will think, God, that woman, she must be down in some corn dogs or something. She's just not growing before our eyes. So. <laughs> no, you were just trying to survive the cold nights. Oh, my God, that's it's, too funny. It's showbiz. It made me think of a joke. And you probably have heard this before. It's like because we were all freezing and chattering and people, all this stuff. You know, I was like, I can't believe it's so cold. And I said, um, you know, well, we're here to do a job. And just think of it think of it like old Joe that runs away from home and joins a circus. His family doesn't know where he is. They find him 40 years later. I know you've heard this one. And they happen to be at the circus one day and see him scooping up behind the elephant. Uh-huh. And they go, oh, son. We finally found you. Come home. Come home. Leave this and come home. He goes, what? And give up show business? So that's the way it's going to go. Yep. Um, Liana Renee Heber, it has been a thrill to have you on here again. Can't wait for Wild West Con. Wishing you most success and your new book, The Spectrum City. Here it is.